You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's preacher is Pastor Brian Flammy. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Jesus says, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, when our flesh hears, hears Jesus speak these beautiful, beautiful words of comfort, uh, we think that Jesus somehow has it backwards, that, that it seems like heaven should rejoice more in the righteous people, not in some weak sinners who happen to finally get with the program. Well, I suppose that might be true if heaven were a hall of fame of good works. <laughs> As if God and the angels gathered together in heaven and it was, there was a big viewing screen and they'd all look at the screen and watch you to see if you were going to do the right thing or the wrong thing. And when you do the right thing, they rejoice and they start you know, putting together your, your statue and your display in heaven. But that's not how the scriptures picture heaven at all. And you know that because think about it. In, in Revelation chapter 7, what do you see? Heaven is not a place where God and the angels get together to look at things down on earth. Instead, heaven is the throne room of God. There in this throne room, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, they reign with mercy. And all of creation bows down before God and worships. Now, the hymns that you hear in heaven, that are sung by the lips of people like you and me... These aren't people who have bought their way into heaven through their good works. Instead, what do we hear? The angel explains to St. John, heaven is filled with men who are righteous. Why? Because their robes have been washed and made white in the blood of the Lamb, in the blood of the Son of God himself. St. John's picture of heaven in the book of Revelation is exactly what we see in today's gospel lesson. Well, you would tell me, Pastor, wait a second, wait a second. Now, the gospel lesson was talking about something that was happening here on earth. That wasn't heaven, right? (laughs) No, you have to see it, that Jesus is there proclaiming God's kingdom. He's holding court with the authority of his word. Now, the Pharisees, who are secure in their works and in their own righteousness, they don't dare draw near to Jesus, but the sinners do. The sinners draw near. They are terrified and impotent people who are desperate, just absolutely desperate for any bit of shred of God's undeserved mercy that they can cling a hold of. And so they draw near to Jesus who assuages their fears and who satisfies their desires for righteousness. Because for these sinners, in that moment, when they are drawing near to Jesus, heaven has come down to earth. And they hear it with their ears. Now, when these unsavory folks, you know, when they pour out of the back alleys to, to hear Jesus, Jesus doesn't deal with them or bear with their stink just long enough to give them what they want. Jesus wants them to stay close. He receives them, and he eats with them. It is the Lord's joy 
that these sinners are hearing his words. And this is it. The knowledge of our Savior's joy is what we should cling a hold of this morning. This is what we should, we should grasp and, and meditate on. How Jesus receives sinners for the joy of their repentance. Now you know that Jesus' preaching and the company that it drew caused great offense. It caused a scandal <laughs> among the Pharisees. And believe it or not, this is actually a great picture of how the world reacts to Jesus' words, how the world reacts to the very presence and the existence of Christ's church. Now, among the Pharisees, you'll find a fellowship of, of, of sorts. We'll call it the fellowship of pride. But among these sinners who are being drawn to Jesus, you'll find another kind of fellowship. We'll call this the fellowship of repentance. And this is the difference between the Holy Christian Church and, and everything that is not the church, and everything that is of the world. The differences between heaven and hell, and everything, everything hinges on Christ. Everything hinges on whether or not you hear Him, on whether or not you believe Him. What do you think when He calls you a sinner? What do you say? And then when He, say that, and when, then when he says that He forgives you, how do you receive that? Do you find your comfort and your consolation and your fellowship with Jesus? Or do you find it somewhere else? There's a way in which our world desires to distort this true picture of the church. That is, sinners being drawn to Jesus by hearing his word. The thought is that Jesus is merely accepting these sinners for who they are, that he's not forgiving sins, so to speak. He's not calling to repentance, technically speaking. Instead, Jesus is affirming who they are. He's giving them acceptance. And this is exactly what the Pharisees thought Jesus was doing, what they were worried about. They thought these, that Jesus, by receiving these sinners, by eating with them, that Jesus is somehow affirming them in their sins, that he is securing them in their sins. But this idea is, isn't just among the Pharisees with regard to how they thought of Jesus. This, this idea is prevalent all throughout the world. That's because our flesh doesn't really want repentance. Our flesh really doesn't want forgiveness. Instead, what do we want? <laughs> we want to be able to say uh, to, to err is, is human, right? That my mistakes and my desires and however twisted they are, that's part of who I am. And so if there is a God out there, he should receive me and accept me for who I am. But that, dear saints, is one of the essential marks of the fellowship of pride. That you try to overcome the shame of your sin by removing the very possibility that you are actually a sinner. And so if you can imagine a way in which your flesh can be twisted, you can guarantee that there is a fellowship of pride around it. In fact, I think that you could go through the whole list of the Ten Commandments from 1 to 10. 
And to think of, you know, what is not fearing and loving and trusting in God above all things? Well, you could probably think of, you know, crass atheism or something like that. And I promise you that you could find a prideful fellowship of atheists out there who are more than willing to tell you how happy and secure they are with where they are. You know? I mean, we... We don't have to go very far to think about those people who have, you know, thrown off the shackles of the authority of their parents and they buy, you know, come together in pride for, you know, rejecting all authority and they call themselves anarchists or Marxists, you know. Uh, you could think of people who have thrown off, uh, the, 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 you know, God's precious commandment, uh, to protect the good and godly gift of marriage. You know, they would take the desires of their flesh and be proud about whenever they find their satisfaction outside of marriage. And so you'll hear about gay pride, right? That's how they talk about it. (laughs) And if God doesn't receive them according to their pride, well, pride has an answer for that too. They say, well, I refuse to believe in a God who won't receive me and accept me as I am. So I heard a news story this past week, which is really quite sad. Uh, The daughter of South African bishop, Desmond Tutu, uh, came out, well, she had been out as gay, but then she married another woman, uh, and then she was removed from uh, from her post as a pastor in in sort of the South African uh, Episcopal Church. Now, what Desmond Tutu said about this was that, well, this is wrong. She needs to be accepted for who she is. And I refuse to believe or worship a homophobic God. That is a God that is a God who finds sexuality as reserved for marriage between a man and a woman. That he would rather have a Jesus, he would rather have scriptures that don't try to actually save sinners, but merely affirm them and receive them and accept them as they are. What's funny, dear saints, and this is for us right now, is that while the Pharisees were especially worried about Jesus' moral compass, they failed to see the shape of their own fellowship of pride. In fact, their fellowship of pride was the more dangerous. Jesus won't let them off the hook. And that's why he preaches this parable. It's especially to convict and to convert People who think themselves righteous according to the law, who are not like the gross sinners out there, but hey, we've done a good job of living a decent life, even a decent life according to the Holy Scriptures. Jesus says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. First of all, Jesus is saying that he is not merely receiving and accepting sinners as they are, as however they identify. He is saying that I am actually here rescuing them from their sins. 
I am here for their repentance. I want their eternal souls to be snatched out of the corrupting wilderness of the devil's lies. And so when these sinners draw near to me, it's because, in fact, they've discovered that they are real sinners. That's why they're here. They feel their guilt and their shame. They know that they stand under, under, under divine wrath, and that's why they come to me. And so know also, dear, dear saints, that Jesus doesn't come to tell the sheep that they're fine. <laughs> through the words of Moses, through his Ten Commandments, he opens the eyes to the reality of God's anger. But more than that, what Jesus desires that is that when these terrified and weak sinners come to him, that they find mercy. That Jesus, the Savior, picks them up out of the tangles and the snares and the brambles of the devil's lies and places these, these weak sinners on his shoulders. And he bears them into the fellowship of repentance, which is the Holy Christian Church. The second thing that Jesus teaches is that the Pharisees are in the very same predicament as the tax collectors and the sinners. You know, just because they're externally righteous, that is, just because everyone can look at them and see how well they've been keeping the Ten Commandments from one down to ten, that doesn't mean, <laughs> that doesn't mean that they're not trapped by the same snares and brambles that have caught the other sheep out in the wilderness of the devil's lies. You see, the Pharisees, what makes a Pharisee a Pharisee is that a Pharisee wants to be accepted on his own terms according to his own righteousness. A, a Pharisee, I was trying to think of a good definition for this this morning, a Pharisee is, a, is someone who loves Moses, and he loves the Ten Commandments, and he thinks that he could be friends with Moses and the Ten Commandments without, without also being friends with Jesus. These works are not from faith that they do. These works are born from pride. And dear saints, where there is no repentance, the works are always dead. They mean nothing in the sight of God. Sure, they may look righteous on the outside, but that only makes them more dangerous. Because then they, they seem as if they are worthy of our fear and our love and our trust. That we don't need a God to call us a sinner. That we don't need a God to save us from that sin. Now, this is what Jesus is telling the 99 Pharisees, so to speak. I have come also to tear apart and to tear down your pride. The law, it wasn't given to you to justify yourself before God. The law was given to you to show you your sin. It kills your pride. It leaves you with no room for any other sorts of fellowship to sin. But in that moment, when all you can see is God's anger and wrath and you find yourself lost in the wilderness, Jesus is now telling the Pharisees who have known nothing but Moses and his law that see how I also am finding you with my word. 
Jesus doesn't tell the Pharisees, do you see how you're doomed in the wilderness? He, see, he says to them, see how the good shepherd comes and finds the lost sheep. See how I have come in the flesh, how I have been born into your world, born of a woman to save you. Jesus would go on to teach these same hard-hearted Pharisees how he was willing to die, to quench all of God's anger, to teach them that all of their guilt, all of their shame has been washed away by his blood. And so Jesus tells them, repent. Be lifted up onto my shoulders and become a member of my flock, a member of the Holy Christian Church. Now, this is the best part about it. Jesus tells the Pharisees that this work of saving sinners, of rescuing from the devil, the world, and the flesh, this is my joy. Others may seek joy in chasing after the brief satisfactions of the flesh or the body. Others may have joy in, in having accomplished you know, their own righteousness of doing good works. But Jesus says, my joy is saving you from your sin. What this means for you, dear saints, is that your salvation is not a matter of divine indifference. The devil is always trying to tempt us into thinking that God could care less about whether or not you're a Christian, that he is just too big and you are just too small to really matter in the great scheme of things. But don't listen to him. This isn't, this isn't a matter of ind- divine indifference. <laughs> Jesus says, it is my joy to save you. The author of, Saint Hebrew, or the, the author of, of Hebrews, probably St. Paul, says, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so as the shepherd frantically searches for his lost sheep, and as the woman scours her floor in search of her lost coin, so God desires, with infinitely more fervor, and with infinitely more desire, to have you, to possess you as his own dear child. If you ask, where where can I find proof of this? You don't have to look very far. Jesus proves it to you with his blood. He proves it to you with his cross. And this same Jesus who has bled for you has ascended to the Father's right hand for the joy of your salvation. It's God's pleasure and joy to baptize you. It's his joy to announce to you this morning that all of your sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. It's his joy to feed you with Jesus' true body and blood. You, dear saints, have been engraved on the palms of Jesus' hands. And as Christ's joy is found in your salvation, so now he sends his Holy Spirit into your hearts to create sure and certain faith that Jesus' words are true so that you may find your joy always in Jesus. You no longer belong to the fellowship of pride. You belong to the fellowship of the repentant. You belong to Jesus.
Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, even unto life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.